Hi, and welcome to Halfway to History. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Kylie. And this is a show where we talk about the upcoming week, but a long time ago. And sometimes not so long ago. Yeah. Do we have any updates from last week? Um, I got nada. I got nada. All right, cool. Let's dive on in then. Kylie's Ooh. week. Woo woo. Yes. Um, it is the week of July 20th through the 26th, uh, which is the day before my birthday. Um, so, tee hee. <laughs> Um, so for Happy this... birthday, Kylie. Thanks. <laughs> uh, so for this week, I want to talk about Robin Hood. Okay. Um, but not the Robin Hood we're all familiar with. Not Robin Hood and Little John walking through the forest? Nope, no Little John in this one. Well, maybe there's a little... Well, we'll get to it. Um, <laughs> okay. But no, there's, there's no walking through the forest. If anything, maybe it's walking through the desert. I don't know. Um, Robin Hood and Little John walking through the desert. It kind of works. <laughs> it kind of works, yeah. Um, but I, there is no Little John. Um, so this is actually the story of Robin Hood of El Dorado. Ooh. Which is like a weird clash of two of my favorite, like, myths. Yeah, crazy. <laughs> um, uh, the Robin Hood of El Dorado was also known as the Robin Hood of the West or the Mexican Robin Hood. And this Robin Hood was actually named Joaquin Murrieta. They were Joaquin? Is that what you were getting oh, at? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So this Robin Hood was um, a miner seeking his fortune during the California gold rush. Uh, Murrieta was reportedly born in Hermeseo in the northwestern state of Sonora, Mexico. And in 1849, he traveled to California to join his stepbrother, Joaquin Carrillo. They have the same first name. Nice. There's a lot of Joaquins in the story. <laughs> um, uh, so his stepbrother had written in 1848 about the discovery of the gold in California. So like many Sonorans, Marietta and a party, including his new wife, Rosa Felice, came to California across the Altar and Colorado deserts in 1849. This party included Joaquin's younger stepbrother, Jesus Carrillo. Marietta, sorry, he has three names. Jesus Correa Murrieto, three Felice brother-in-laws, so relatives or brothers on his wife's side, uh, two Murrieta cousins, four Valenzuela cousins, two Duarte cousins, and a few other men from the Pueblo de Murrieta um, area or nearby. Okay. So he took like a whole posse with him. <laughs> um, so it's the beginning of his merry little band. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, so it seems uh, like they were really just going to go all out on this whole gold rush thing and, like, you know, make their fortune like so many thought they would. That Sorry, seems guy. like you're telling something. Uh, you're foreshadowing. That's the word I was well, looking for. <laughs> well, I mean, I did start this by saying he's Robin Hood. So, like, thieving is definitely in there. <laughs> oh, no, I thought you were going for the, as many probably tried. Oh, well, I mean, like, there were a lot of people who went west in the gold rush and got I, I know, I thought you were foreshadowing towards oh. him not doing well either. Well, we'll get to it. Okay. <laughs> There's a little bit of that, maybe. Yeah, nope, yep, all right. Now that I'm thinking it fully through, I'm going to give you that. Okay. <laughs> so, all right. So, Joaquin Marietta encountered prejudice and hostility um, in the extreme competition of the rough mining camps. While mining for gold, he and his wife supposedly were attacked by American miners who were jealous of his success, you know, as like a Mexican coming in. Stealing our jobs. Yikes. 
<clears throat> so they allegedly beat him and raped his wife. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, so, however, the source of these events isn't necessarily considered reliable, as it was from a dime novel. The Life and Adventures of Joaquin Marietta, written by John Rollin Ridge, and it was ah. published in 1854. Um, so... Another story goes that a group of Americans had accused Marietta and his stepbrother Jesus Carrillo of stealing a mule. Uh, Jesus was hanged and Joaquin was horsewhipped. So he gathered a group of men to track down an exact revenge for the death of his stepbrother. This group of men would later form the core of Marietta's merry band of outlaws, as it were. Um. And according to the stories, Marietta's gang had well-organized bands. One was led by himself, and the rest were led by one or two of his um, relatives that he had grown up with and brought with him to California. Mm -hmm. Then they regularly engaged in illegal horse trade with Mexico. Oh. Stolen horses and legally captured Mustangs. So, like, stole some horses and then, like, legally rounded up some wild horses to sell. And then drove them from as far north as Contra Costa County in California and from the gold camps of the Sierras and from the Central Valley, all via the remote La Vereda del Monte Trail through the Diablo Range, then south to Sonora for sale. Interesting. Yeah, so horse thieves. (laughs) Um, So unfortunately, when not actively engaging in this illegal horse trade, some of Marietta's followers robbed and killed miners and settlers, uh, particularly those that were returning from the California gold fields, uh, presumably to get the gold nuggets without actually doing the hard work of mining it themselves. Or thieving, apparently. Yeah. Just kill them and take what they got. Yeah. No being sneaky about it, just kill them. Um, so this gang is believed to have killed up to 28 Chinese and 13 Anglo-Americans, but this figure only takes into account um, the reports of their raids in early 1953. Oh. So so that number could very well be much higher. <laughs> um, which I'm not laughing because it's a good thing. I'm saying that maybe they need to keep better records. So by 1853, the California state legislature considered Marietta enough of a criminal menace that they listed him as one of the so-called five Joaquins on a bill passed in May of 1853. Where'd the other Joaquins come from? Well, they're not really pertinent to the story. Okay. (laughs) So I'm I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. (laughs) The five Joaquins. Yeah, well, so the legislature authorized the hiring of three, uh, four, three months of a company of 20, um, what became California Rangers, who were all mostly veterans of the Mexican-American War. Um, So they were hired to hunt down the five Joaquins. And on May 11th of 1853, the governor, John Bigler, signed an act to create the California State Rangers. And while they're not as infamous as the Texas Rangers, this was the creation of California's first statewide law enforcement agency. Um, And it was led by Captain Harry Love, and I just love his last name. <laughs> I don't like his name's Harry Love. Oh, no. <laughs> Welp, you ruined it. Um, but he was a former Texas Ranger and a Mexican War veteran himself. So the state paid the California Rangers $150 a month and promised them a $1,000 governor's reward if they captured the wanted men. So the five Joaquins. The wanted Joaquins. 
Well, yes. <laughs> um, on July 25th of 1853, a group of rangers entered a band of armed Mexican men near Areo de Cantua on the edge of the Diablo Range near Colinga, California. In the confrontation, three of the Mexicans were killed, and the rangers claimed that one was Marietta, which is my event. The death of Marietta. Ah. Yes, I snuck that right in there halfway through. <laughs> well, that was short anyways. Nope, nope, nope. Oh, okay. There's still more. Don't you worry your little head about it. So another one that um, they claim to, to have killed was um, Manuel Garcia who is also known as Three-Fingered Jack, one of the most his most notorious associates. Two others were captured, um, besides the three that were killed. Um, there's actually a plaque, and it is California Historical Landmark, number 344, um, at the intersection of State Routes 33 and 198, which now marks the approximate site of the incident, in case anyone wants to take a little road trip. Cool. <laughs> Once the plague is over. Yes. Wait. So as proof of the outlaw's deaths, the rangers cut off Three-Finger Jack's hand because, you know, the whole three-fingered thing is probably makes it pretty identifiable. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they also cut off the alleged Marietta's head and then preserved them both in a jar of alcohol to bring to the authorities for their reward. Oh. So 17 people, including a Catholic priest, signed an affidavit identifying the head as Marietta's, so like corroborating this. Um, officials displayed the jar in Mariposa County, Stockton, and San Francisco, and then the rangers took the display all throughout California. Spectators could pay $1 to see the relics. Appar Fun. Apparently it was quite a show. <laughs> um, so Captain Love and his rangers received the $1,000 reward money. In August of 1853, an anonymous Los Angeles-based man wrote to the San Francisco Alta California Daily that Love and his rangers had actually murdered some innocent Mexican Mustang catchers and had then bribed people to swear on those affidavits attesting that it was actually Marietta. What a twist. Yes, it gets twisty. Um, so then later that fall, California newspapers carried letters by a few men claiming that Captain Love had failed to display Marietta's head at the mining camps. But this wasn't um, true, necessarily. So I'm also not entirely sure why displaying his head at mining camps would necessarily matter. The only thing I can think of is that maybe the men at mine at the mining camps would know him well enough to recognize his head or not. I would agree with that because you said in the beginning that their primary targets were people going f like for the gold rush. Yeah. So I I I'm assuming that the comp the like suspicion that they the as to why he didn't display the head at the mining camp is so that, like, people who potentially knew him couldn't actually say yay or nay. Right. So that's just my theory, though. So then on May 28th of 1854, the California state legislature voted to reward the Rangers with another $5,000 for their defeat of Murrieta and his band. Just because? Just because. They made out like bandits. Uh uh, uh, <laughs> I just came up with that one. God, I did not write that terrible. in my notes. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so bad. <laughs> but that's not the end of Marietta's story. Are you sure? Yes. He may be dead, but he's not forgotten, apparently. <laughs> so 25 years later, the rumors of Marietta and his gang began to resurface. In 1879, O.P. Stidger, who I, uh, think, I think was a journalist or like reporter or something like that, I don't really think their occupation is necessarily that important. 
But this OP Stidger was reported to have heard Marietta's sister say that the displayed head was not, in fact, her brother's. So at around the same time, numerous sightings were reported of Marietta as a middle-aged man, but they were never confirmed. And unfortunately, his preserved head was actually destroyed during the 1906 San Francisco earthquake and subsequent fire. It's also reported that Marietta's nephew, who was known as Procopio, became one of California's most notorious bandits of the 1860s and 1870s, purportedly because he wanted to exceed the reputation of his infamous uncle. Huh. Yeah. So inspiring the family line to take up the banditry. <laughs> Goals. <laughs> yeah, apparently. So now if any of the story has started to sound a little familiar, Joaquin Marietta was reportedly part of the inspiration for the fictional character of Zorro. Oh, uh-huh. okay. Um, so for those who are not familiar, the lead Zorro was the lead character in a five-part serial story, The Curse of Capistrano, which was written by Johnston McCulley and was published in 1919 in a pulp fiction magazine. Um, and then, you know, it's just kind of evolved from there. So, like, the movies and the legends and, you know... Z for Zorro, Mask Z for of Zorro, Zorro all yep. that stuff. All that good stuff. Yeah, exactly. Antonio Benderes. Yep. <laughs> so, this is actually what made me catch on to the similarities was the head and the hands hand in a jar, weirdly enough. Okay. So, what crazy things are you doing in your spare time, Kylie? <laughs> so, it's now mark me if I'm wrong. It has been a long time since I've watched the Zorro movies. However, I'm pretty sure there's a scene in the mask, which is the first one, Mask of Zorro, Z for Zorro. Yeah, Mask of Zorro. Mask of Zorro, where Antonio Banderas. Ben, Antonio Banderas. Yeah, Antonio Banderas's character i can't make it possessive <laughs> jesus christ just don't leave, leave that in there because yep. i sound like an idiot um anyway his character <laughs> so zoro zoro's brother i'm pretty sure and another cowboy looking guy are tied to a horse and being forced to follow behind it you know like prisoners yep um and the cowboy i i looked it up on imdb and wikipedia and stuff and the the cowboy guy the character's name is three finger jack the uh zorro's brother's name is joaquin marietta oh and antonio banderas's character is um like alejandro marietta mm-hmm. so not one of the like theoretical actual brothers of this person supposedly historical figure but like a di- totally yeah it kept a lot of the roots yeah exactly so those are the the names are the same, and um, if I recall correctly, I think there's a point in that movie when Zorro meets the like main bad guy at like his office or something, and he shows Zorro the hand of Three Finger Jack in a jar, and then like does this weird creepy thing where he like flips this other big jar around and it's his brother's head. Do you remember that? No, I man, I need, we need to, to watch re-watch- that movie again. I have it on DVD. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, I got it when Blockbuster was going out of business for Jesus. like a dollar. <laughs> what? I was I was super... Anything that has like a Robin Hoodie theme to it, I'm all over. Like Robin Hood... We had this conversation before. Robin Hood and King Arthur are like my history drivers for some reason. That's what got me into history and... None of it's actually really factual, so. <laughs> yeah, it should have got into writing. 
Well, <laughs> hmm, I was convinced as a child that I would be the person to prove that King Arthur actually existed. <laughs> and instead, it was a few years ago with some little girl who pulled an iron sword out of a lake. What? Wait a minute. Have you heard the strange and unusual stories of the Forgotten News Podcast? Hello, everyone. This is Jim. This is Kit Karen. We host the Forgotten News Podcast. On our show, we tell true stories from history, but not the stories you learned in school. We tell stories that are obscure. Mysterious. Weird. Wild. For example, the teenage girl who committed the last stagecoach robbery in the United States in 1899. The really dumb gang of crooks who unintentionally kidnapped the lieutenant governor of Idaho in 1929. The group of old ladies in 1893 who would secretly go out at midnight to castrate cats and then, um, speed up their journey to heaven. The farmer who vanished into thin air in front of witnesses as he simply walked across his empty dirt yard in 1889. So, on any given episode, our stories might be serious, silly, or sad. But they will always be a true story. So now you know pretty much everything about what to expect on the Forgotten News Podcast. We think you'll like it. Thank you for listening. Bye. There was some... Girl in that area that pulled a super rusted, super big, like two handed sword out of a lake. What? Yeah, <laughs> I missed this. I mean, it's it's not actually like King Arthur's or well, any, but still, but that's it's really cool. It is cool, yeah, <laughs> as like an artifact. Gosh darn! I wish I was that. Yeah, I think kid. she. I think she was only like seven or Jeez. eight. Like, wow. Yeah. All right. Well. I want to be that kid's friend now. <laughs> anyway. So, yeah. So, like, the head's in the jar and the hand in the jar is what reminded... That part of the story is what made me flash back to the movie Zora. And I went, oh. Hold on. Are these hey, related? Wait. And so then I Googled... Like, you know, I scrolled farther down the page where it was like, may have inspired Zora. And I was like, I gotcha. Got it. What <laughs> do you mean, like, may have? I the figured it out first. the same. Well, you always have to have... A little bit of potential doubt. A little bit of room for, well, maybe not. Especially since these did come from dime novels, you were saying, which also may or may not have had any truth to them whatsoever. We'll see. Um, okay, so with that as my evidence, there was definitely some inspiration that was pulled from Marietta's story for the movie, at least. But since I've never read the book where, or like the, it's not a comic book, but the serial Pulp Fiction thing that Zoro originated from, I can't actually say for sure. <laughs> but those, my assumption would be that it Those was. are pretty much old-timey comic books. Cool. I so mean, comic book is fun. Pulp Fiction stuff lasted longer and was more magazine-like. Yeah. But the dime novels were very well, comic booky. Zoro came from um, a Pulp Fiction oh, okay. magazine. The Marietta story was originally told in a dime novel. Okay. So, semantics. <laughs> um, so for some activists, Marietta actually became a sort of symbol of the resistance against the Anglo-American economic and cultural domination in California, especially like during the influx of, you know, 
people from like the East Coast into what had a not really been super white settled territory. Manifest destiny. Yeah, that. <clears throat> so the um the Association of the Descendants of Joaquin Murrieta say that Murrieta, quote, wanted to retrieve the part of Mexico that was lost at the time of the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo. So there definitely was a lot of um idealization, I think, going on as well with the story. Um that's fine. We idealize the crap out of everything. Oh, yeah. So. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. Mexico can have this one. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so now is the time where I have some bad news. Uh-oh. Joaquin Marietta may or may not have actually existed. Ah. And you kind of caught on to this earlier. Yeah. Um, but even if he did, it probably was likely not as you know sensationalized as in this story. Yep. So definitely have to take that with a bit of grain of salt. Evidence for a historical Joaquin is pretty scarce. Contemporary documents record testimony concerning a minor horse thief by the same name in 1852. Um, banditos with the name Joaquin involved in the robbery and murder of several Chinese were reported by newspapers during the same time. But as we know, California passed a bill for the California Rangers to capture the five Joaquins. So it honestly could have been any and or all of any of those said Joaquins. Um, so the fact that the name is the same doesn't have a ton of bearing on any factual evidence. So, And who knows, maybe some of these stories are put together from multiple of these Joaquins. Yeah, honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if like this, this legend in general was a conglom- conglomeration of a lot of different Crimes. Outlaw characters, yeah. yeah. So, like, there may be some basis in truth, but probably not necessarily all from the same person. And they're probably not like Zorro. No one's quite like Zorro. Oh, weird. Okay, <laughs> strange vibes in the room right now. I was obsessed with Zorro. But you can't say his name? No. <laughs> I can't I can't do the Spanish S thing. You, you also can't do the rolling R's very well. No, I can't. Also, I have a lisp anyway, so for some reason, having to, like, lisp my S's intentionally is really hard. <laughs> I don't know it's why, okay. but it's really hard. It's okay. <laughs> anyway, so, as far as I can tell, the only real evidence of Joaquin Marietta as he stands from this legend all originate from that novel, The Life and Adventures of Joaquin Marietta. Um, and the subtitle is The Celebrated California Bandit, which I thought was kind of cute. Yeah. Um, so it was originally published as a fictional biography, but at the time, it was taken as truth by a lot of historians. So, like, contemporaries probably witnessed and or heard about all of the weird crime that was taking place with the California Gold Rush and easily believed the events of this novel. Also, dissemination of information was right. rough back then. Yes, very. Um, so, like, you could have printed anything in a newspaper and people would have believed it. At least in that local area or right. just outside of that local area, especially because so many people were moving around. Mm-hmm. It was probably very common for, like, ghost stories, I guess I'll call them. Like, stuff that happened as you like yeah. as you pass through a town and it's like, oh, yeah. I heard about this. And, you know, they just talk about it while they're traveling west. Yeah, it's it's like when you play a game of telephone. Yeah. What you start with is never what you end up with. Yeah, telephone's so, a better analogy yeah. than ghost story. Yeah, so it, it makes sense that things would be, like, you know, elaborated and exaggerated and tr- changed completely, potentially. 
What um, else are you going to do as you're traveling through nothing? We think it's a pain now with the flyover states. Imagine back then <laughs> when you have an ox and you would die of dysentery. The Oregon Trail. How much fun. <laughs> um, anyway, so yeah. So the other thing of interest about the novel um, is that it was the first novel published in California. Cool. It was the first novel published by a Native American. Neat. And it was the first American novel to feature a Mexican protagonist. Huh, interesting. Yeah. Um, so John Rollin Ridge was um, the author, and he was a member of the Cherokee Nation. And he actually wrote under his native name, which was Yellowbird. Um, so when it originally was published, it was written by Yellowbird, like on the, the title and That's stuff. That's cool. Um, now we know that like his American name was um, John Rollin Ridge. So by becoming relatively popular in Europe, the novel never quite lived up to Ridge's dreams as it faced numerous accusations of plagiarism. From what? Plagiarism. If it was the first one... As in elements of his story and the what he, like, literally the words that he wrote came from other things. Okay. So, essentially... And I, I don't necessarily know where it would have come from, like, where it came That's from, That's what I'm say. stumped on. Well, so, like, this kind of story was, like, super popular. And I mean, like, we have Robin Hood now, like, the like the original Robin Hood or whatever you want to call him. Like, that story is extremely similar, like, in tone and stuff, so it... But plagiarism's, like, extreme to be calling it that. Well, it was also, like, you know, what, you're 1850-something... Okay. So, I don't know. Um, their idea of plagiarism at the time might have been different. You're the historian. I'll trust you. Um, I mean, I do not know the history of copyright or plagiarism laws, but suffice it to say, someone else thought that his stuff was too similar to their own and then caused a fuss. You sure it just wasn't because he was a native? I mean, that is also very possible. Prejudice could play a huge part in that. Written by a native about a minority yep. from out of the country. Yep. Written in a white hat way. Yep. I mean, it, it's extremely possible that yep. plagi- uh, the prejudice was what like caused this. Um, I don't know enough about the history of like plagiarism laws at the time or anything like that. To really- I'm just trying to think of like how likely it is that a active Cherokee native would have access to other books and stories in an area where this was the first book ever published. It's, it sounds just so far-fetched to me that this would be stolen from other things other than just kind of like word-of-mouth stories. Maybe. Um, the other thing to remember, though, is that uh, he didn't necessarily always, um, like go by or identify with his Native American ancestry. Um, I mean, his, like, American name is John Rollin Ridge. Yeah. So, like, it would be pretty easy to, like, pass. Yeah, that's true. So, um, and I don't, I don't know him enough about his history Yeah. to really know how far he leaned into, like, really being Cherokee and embracing it. Um, and I am in no position to make any assumptions anyways continue (laughs) yeah anyway it never quite you know became the economic boost that he had hoped the the novel would be which is the main point (laughs) dear god okay long story short joaquin marietta is a big historical question mark essentially 
Um, as a the historian Susan Lee Johnson stated, quote, so many tales have grown up around Marietta that it's hard to disentangle the fabulous from the factual. There seems to be a consensus that Anglos drove him from a rich mining claim and that in rapid succession, his wife was raped, his half-brother lynched, and Marietta himself was horsewhipped. He may have worked as a Monty dealer for a time, then according to whichever version one accepts, he became either a horse trader, an occasional horse, horse thief, or a bandit. And that's the end of the quote. Okay. So Marietta could have been all fiction, all real, or what I suspect is some mix of the two. And rather like his English counterpart, Robin Hood of Sherwood Forest, we may never know for sure. Huh. Yeah. So Fun story. The Robin Hood of El Dorado. Um, also, the whole Eldorado, the Eldorado thing didn't really come into play in this legend, per se. But when I was connecting my dots with the Legend of Zorro, like, movie, um, I was, you know, like, looking to see and being like, oh, my gosh, I recognize, like, the three-fingered jack and, like, the head in the jar and stuff. Um, in the movie, the mine that the, like, bad guy is trying to exploit or whatever is named Eldorado. Ah, okay. Which I thought was really a fun pull into that. Yeah. Um, so, That's yeah, cool. Definitely pulling a lot from Marietta's story, I think. Um, but yeah, Eldorado's like the legend of, like, what, the gold city or something like that. So it, it makes sense that it would be associated with a gold mining bandit. <laughs> yeah, the gold city, the gold man, the gold statue. Yeah. There's a, a lot of different, very worthwhile, very hidden gold things that Eldorado could have been. Yeah, exactly. And my favorite... The Road to El Dorado. Mm. <laughs> Such a good movie. It is. All right. So that's that's my story. Awesome. So onto the call to action. You guys can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Halfwit History. You can go to our website, www.halfwit-history.com. You can find our Ko-Fi if you'd like to support us at ko-fi.com forward slash Halfwit History. And if you want to get a hold of us, you can reach out to us at halfwitpod at gmail.com. Um, send us any you know topic ideas, comments, feedback. We'd love to hear from you. Um, and we'd love to be able to focus on the kind of stories that you really want to hear. Yeah, absolutely. Or and historical facts, I guess, is more accurate than stories. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, we've played fast and loose with historical fact. <laughs> Things that happened on dates that have associated tales. Yes. <laughs> we've done several cryptids and yeah. legends over here. Yep. Fair, now, right. Fair enough. <laughs> Give us a date and Give something a- that happened on it and we'll weave the tale. Yes. <laughs> or try. And thank you to the fishermen for the use of our theme song, Another Day. You can find their SoundCloud down in our show notes. Go check them out. They have some good stuff. Yeah. All right. On to fun facts. Yes. And so, it's my turn to go first? Yes, you should go first since I talked this whole time. <laughs> All right. My fun fact is on July 21st of 356 BC. Oh, boy. When Herostratus sets fire to the Temple of Artemis in Ephesus. One of the original seven wonders of the world. Oh, yeah, the, the Temple of Artemis. You can still visit it, but uh, it is definitely not what it once was. Yeah. I've seen pictures of it. It's still very cool. Uh, no, it's still really cool, and I 100% want to go see it sometime. Like, I think that should be... If we ever get to get a trip to Europe, I think we should definitely hit up some of uh, Greece and, like, Italy and stuff. Yeah, that, that would be, be a lot of fun. Beautiful. Yeah. Anyways, your fun fact? All righty. <clears throat> On July 22nd, 1796, 
Cleveland, Ohio, founded by General Moses Cleveland. Um, it was founded. <laughs> um, but it was a, the fun fact part is that it was originally called Cleveland, but with a E A instead of just the E C L E V E. Oh, like cleave, like to cleave through yeah, like something. Yeah, to cleave something. Yeah. Um, and the public adopted the current spelling after a newspaper editor noticed that the name was too long to fit on the page, and so they dropped the A. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, here we go. <laughs> well, as always, I've been your halfwit. And I'm your historian. And we hope you listen next week. Bye. Since you gone Um, so long story short, short. <laughs> long story short. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>